Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Welcome to the ultimate kettle. I'm doing my uh, fast fret there, Corey, just in case you know another podcast that we've all listened to, Sean Geek and Fast Fret. I was trying my fa- fast fret voice to do the intro, but maybe I'll just maybe I'll just do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, not that, deep that, enough. That was, yeah. yeah, it's not deep enough. You really got to get down in the re- welcome down in the register. <laughs> no one does it. No one does it like Todd. So. We'll have to get Todd to do some points. But yeah, this is the ultimate catalog, catalog clash, folks. I fucked that up. This is the ultimate catalog clash, um, where we are talking about one artist per season. Um, we're going to listen to one side of an album, and that's going to be the episode. We're going to rank each side of the album, um, Corey and I, and we're going to come up with eventually for both sides a score out of 100 for that album. So our goal is to find out what is the best album in that artist's catalogue. The twist is that we're also going to... like. There's a little contest at the end where whichever one of us picks the highest scored album gets to pick the next artist. And Corey's pretty confident that he's going to win this season and he's going to throw something at me that I maybe, maybe I don't enjoy quite as much as uh, that I thought I did. Um, and we've got like a little tie break thing in there. We've got some mechanisms to make sure this is all fair and above board. Um, but yeah, so the first artist that we're talking about is Genesis, specifically Phil Collins' era Genesis. Um, the last two episodes we covered uh, were Trick of the Tale. And we're starting off today with Side A of Wind and Wuthering. Wind and Wuthering, an album I wasn't really familiar with. Uh, this was largely a first-time listen for me. And as I was listening to it, I, I really compared it a lot like uh, a colonoscopy without the anesthetic in that it hurt. Um, it was really uncomfortable. It was surprising in, in spots, uh, but generally unpleasant. Um, and, and I wish it didn't happen. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I mean, you've shown your hand. You've shown your hand right off the top there. So maybe I'll show mine. It's kind of funny because this is one of those albums that I was talking to my stepdad about this yesterday because I've been through and would listen to the album. I don't know how you do it. What I tend to do with this is I just listen to the album twice and then I sit down and I start to make notes because Genesis are an album band. It's like Zeppelin or, you know, Rush or any of those bands where you, it's not always just individual songs. It's an album. And this is definitely one that falls into that bracket for me. So I'd kind of forgotten about this record. And I didn't really listen to it. And I went, came in, I thought, I think this is probably one where I'm not going to enjoy this one as much. But man, going back in and listening, I'd forgotten about certain songs. I mean, Afterglow, you know, I, I think is a, a great song. We'll get into this. But there's some stuff on there that I'd forgotten about. That I was like, oh, yeah, I really quite like this. And I'm pretty sure that Corey won't. So this is going to be a very fun <laughs> album to cover. So. <laughs> well, and much to my surprise, I was pretty positive on A Trick of the Tale. Um, like I said, uh, my history with Genesis kind of starts around the self-titled album uh, when, when they kind of got more poppy and then into yeah. Invisible Touch, which is one of my favorite records of all time. And We Can't Dance, which is top to bottom, another great album. Uh, so going back this early into A Trick of the Tale and Wind and Withering, which were released the same year, uh, you know, which is just how things were done in the 70s, kids. Uh, you know, they would. Yeah, they're both in 76. Look it up. I didn't even this one was that. released December 17th, 1976. A Trick of the Tale was released February 13th, February 1976. February 13th, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. 
you I, did, I didn't even catch that me cool <laughs> <laughs> never questioned Corey morris set on stats ever <laughs> I, I i did do a little uh, d- uh digging uh, into the band's catalog before i listened to the thing uh, which i listened to uh today so it's fairly fresh in my head uh, but I was in a really good mood because we, uh, if I pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, Kevin and I just recorded a uh, an episode of and the podcast will rock uh, with Mark Kamire, our Van Halen show. And I had a lot of fun on that show. And uh, now I don't think I'm going to have so much fun. Uh, but uh, Kevin's here, the whiskey's flowing, and, and we're going to give this a go. So this was uh, 1976, uh, Wind and Withering. Um, David Henschel comes back to uh, produce. And uh, Steve Hackett. Uh, after coming off of his uh, first uh, solo record, I think a little more heavily involved in this one, right? Yeah, definitely. And it, it, what I find interesting because there was a there's a good when they did a, there was a box set or two or three box sets that Genesis did where they packaged certain years of the band together, and this was in this sort of it was Trick of the Tail, Wind and Wuthering, I think up to Abacab, I think. And so, as part of the DVDs for those box sets, they would have the bandmates talk about the album, and one of the things that I was kind of thinking about that Rutherford actually brought up was the fact that really, if you think about Trick of the Tail, that's almost a debut record, right? Because Gabriel's left and everyone's thinking, well, Genesis are done. How the hell are they going to withstand losing Pete Gabriel? And so it was sort of a, almost like a, you've not really got as much to lose, I think, because if Genesis can't withstand it, no one's really going to blame them. Uh, with this album, second album, second albums are always tough, that sophomore jinx, I think this was a really important album for Genesis to get right. And I think with Hackett coming back and Hackett's very, very proggy, he never wrote sort of the small, call small songs, right? Where they were sort of just trivial things. So him coming back in and having much more input into this record, I think shows. And I think that once we get into it, that's probably where some, I mean, Tony, it's a Tony Banks album really, but Hackett's yeah. contributions were, I think that might be some of the issues um, that you have with it. We're really, this is a really proggy album a very very proggy album yeah a very much a tony banks album like you said i was looking at the writing credits and he's credited on a six of the nine uh yeah. so he's all over this one and steve hackett not so much and i guess that was kind of a bone of contention steve hackett wanted more of his stuff uh used and uh, phil yeah. collins i believe said something uh, we just went with the strongest material regardless of who came up with it yeah uh so uh is this maybe kind of the beginning of the end this is the last album that steve hackett's on isn't it yeah it is yeah for sure but i mean hackett had got but to, at that point so Hackett says that when he was in Genesis up to this point, he always felt a bit um, overawed with Rutherford and Banks. You could just crank out these huge, like epic opus things, or they seemingly could just write songs in their sleep. Whereas a songwriter, he was never quite that confident. Once he got to this stage, now, you know, obviously Trick of the Tale, he'd been away writing his solo album because Gabriel's left, don't know what's going to happen. When he comes back, he's a bit more confident. So I think that's where some of that conflict comes with, I'm not getting as many of my songs on the album. And of course, now they're crediting everyone rather than it all just being Genesis. So I think some of that friction just develops from the fact that like, this material might not have been strong enough for a Genesis album, right? So, And this album came together really quick. They actually started recording in September of 76 and actually uh, recorded the basic tracks in 12 days. Yeah. And, and then took three and then took three weeks to mix it. Uh, but I, I found it interesting that this is the first album Genesis ever recorded outside the UK. They recorded it in Netherlands because they learned they could keep as much as 25% more of their earnings if they recorded it overseas, which is a yeah. big thing. Uh, you, you can't actually record in England. Uh, uh, Def Leppard found that out too. That's why they record all their stuff overseas now too, because uh, but the, the tax hit is so big. 
Yeah, and it, it, you know, there's a lot of um, the Stones got criticised for it. Queen got criticised for it for going and recording outside of the UK. But I mean, as a socialist, which I would sort of call myself more or less usually, I think you know what, you millionaires, you can afford the tax. Just pay the fucking tax. But I sort of understand it too. Well, when when it's a luxury tax, I think luxury tax back then was only seventy or eighty percent or something. So when you think about a 70 or 80% tax, that's insane, right? Yeah. So you can see why people did it. But I also, like I said, I can see the other side. So, you know. I'm kind of with you. Yeah, like millionaires, you, you can afford to pay a little more. But 70 or 80, that's that's pretty crazy. You know what's interesting too, though, too, when you look back and look at the sequencing of these, because between Trick of the Tail and Wind and Wuthering being released, you kind of get this punk explosion starting to happen, right? Oh, yeah. So punk's starting to become a thing. And, you know, you, the Ramones and the, the Runaways and the, the Sex Pistols, and they're all sort of, I don't think, I'm not too sure if they'd actually released albums up to this point, but they were on the underground scene, that's what people were listening to. And so you get this this thing where the thing they're pushing back against in some regards is not just sort of Thatcher, the Thatcher government and conservatism, but it's also conservative music. You know, it's, it's granddad music, as they used to call it, and Genesis and Yes and Led Zeppelin and some of those bands kind of got lumped into that thing where I found it interesting where Phil Collins was saying that, well, we just we just always assumed that they didn't mean us, right? It's like, well, yeah, get rid of some of the shitty prog bands, but they don't, obviously they don't mean us because we're really good. But of course, they definitely meant Genesis, right? Oh, yeah. So I think that's interesting that you've got Wind and Wuthering coming out, where Trick of the Tale was, I think, a bit more accessible. Wind and Wuthering is a really quite a return to prog and you can see how that just doesn't fit with the zeitgeist and what people are listening to yeah there's there's one song on here that you could say is actually more, more of that pop side that they, they would yeah. explore more an invisible touch and stuff and it was the only single uh from this record i found it interesting that tony banks uh had some concerns that the album would be too heavy and difficult for people to listen to the first time yeah. through but he knew that the true genesis fans would would give the give the material a chance uh, which uh, I don't know if I'm in that camp. I, maybe I should give it another listen. I only listened to it a couple times, but uh, it was my first time listening to it today. So I, I have thoughts. Well, and I think it, it is, it definitely is an album that <laughs> the first time through, if you're not a prog guy, it's like, oh my God, what am I dealing with here? Why is this going on so long? What are they, why is this so complicated? Why, what, what is going on? Right. Totally get that. Absolutely. As a, proggy like as a guy who grew up with genesis and yes i'm really and it's like i fucking love that stuff give me 10 minutes of tony banks wanking on his keyboard i don't, I don't care man throw as much of that as you want to me right then. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I, I, I think can... that's one of my notes that this is tony banks ejaculating all over the keyboard <laughs> I, I put that on one of the songs but it's it's that thing of that's what prog is right prog is bloated and it is self-indulgent and it is slightly inaccessible if you're listening to pop music right so yeah, like I said, I was I was once I went back and listened to this and I was like, this is gonna be a doozy. Yeah. So. I, I fundamentally have an issue with an artist saying, We hate our audience so much, we're gonna give them this bloated, uh, depressing <laughs> piece of shit that they're gonna hate that normal people are gonna hate, but our, our base are gonna love. Yeah, Genesis fans love this record, man. Like it's and it's Tony Banks's Tony Banks says it's his favorite Genesis record, which yeah. I find odd. Because he's written some, I think most of Tony Banks, well, there are a couple of songs in here that I think are phenomenal, Tony Banks songs. But a lot of his stuff is, you know, Domino and Fading Lights and these these huge epic tracks from the later albums. They're just, I think some of it's the production as well. And we'll get into the production on this too, but it, it, the sound and the sonics make a difference, but 
there's a timing thing. There's a perspective. I don't know. It, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's not a, it's not an easy album. It's definitely not an easy album. All right. Well, let's get into it. What do you say? Yeah. Let's get into side A of Wind and Worthering. This is the first track entitled 11th Earl of Mar. And already I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. What was it? So on, on, on your Van Halen podcast, what was the song you guys did last week? I can't remember. It was off. It's, it's the opener off Van Halen 2, right? Um, the opener off Van Halen 2 is You're No Good. And it, yeah. it started off with an extended bass solo. Yeah. Which, like uh, a... It was meant to be a bass solo, but they thought it was cool enough to put, to actually kick off the album. And a lot of people didn't like that, but those people should hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this i mean it's this, <laughs> it's not a dynamic opening is it but oh my god i was just gonna ask uh the 11th earl of mar yeah uh you you're a british fellow uh it says here that it's uh about john erskine the earl of mar a scottish yeah. jacobite jacobite what the fuck is that jacobite okay okay jacobite there's a jacobite rebellion christ i don't, I don't i'm gonna i'm not gonna say the years because i'll get in trouble i'll get in a lot of trouble we'll lose all the scottish listeners if we have any but the basically the jacobites wanted to restore the house of Stuart to the british throne so it's about so the the, the earl of mar was kind of tied in with, with like it's a you know an old british um aristocracy thing but it was a it was a a, a move to try to replace the monarchies the jacobites wanted to take over the throne and they were unsuccessful but okay um, I don't want to go back to that intro. I'm going to shuttle ahead if that's cool with you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Minute 54. Uh, things get a little heavier in this. Okay. That's awesome. Because, no, no, because and I don't know how you're editing these, Corey. I don't know if you're going to leave in the bits where we're talking about the times or are you going to just kind of drop that and then go, flow in. Might be interesting to see which one works better, but I had 154 written down, that exact time you? code. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I plan as long as it kind of flowed nice, I was going to leave the times in. So. Okay. I'll be leaving this in so, as well. So, so I fucked that up then. One hundred percent. I expect nothing less from my podcast partners. <laughs> so we're heading off to one fifty four. And I, I wanted to go there because of two things: Mike Rutherford and yeah. Phil Collins. Yeah, right. Love it. Those Toms. Oh my god, they sound good. And I don't know if they're roto toms. I don't I think they're just really small rack toms tuned really tight. Yeah. Because I'm that, not even that, too sure if they had roto toms. In 76, yeah, I'm not sure we'd have to check that, but roto toms uh, have, have a different hit to them, I think. Uh, but it sounded like just those really small toms. You know, you get that rack where it's just like four of them in a row. That's kind of what I thought it was. Yeah, it just sounds so freaking good. And it's man, it's Phil Collins. We talked about this, you know, we I think we were talking about this offline. On the Van Halen show, I, people who don't rate Phil Collins as a drummer just need to go pound sand because the guy's a legend. Yeah, they they don't know drums. He's a he's a phenomenal drummer. But you know who you can barely hear is Tony Banks. And I'm thinking 
uh, as I'm listening to these records, maybe it's the Tony Banksness that I, I'm not digging uh, on these okay. early Phil Collins Genesis records because Mike Rutherford on the bass is killing it. Steve Hackett, when you get Steve Hackett, is a great guitar player. Phil Collins, we just mentioned, an amazing drummer. Um, Tony Banks is just playing to the song right here, right? He he just you know kind of playing a nice yeah, melody, for sure. yeah, and for sure. And, and you, I you like this section. And you don't actually hear a lot of Steve Hackett on this either. I mean, that's going to be a comment that we I think is going to come up quite a bit, especially through this first side of this album. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, Mike Rutherford, people who oh man kind of get forgotten about as because Rutherford, you know, when when they used to play live in the later days, he'd usually play well, he'd kind of alternate between bass and he'd play rhythm guitar, he'd play a little bit of lead here and there, but you don't necessarily think of him as this kick-ass bass player where listen to what he's playing here, man. It's pretty goddamn tasty. Oh, he's got a great fucking stank on that bass. I love it. Mm. Uh, lyrically, though, I, I, I'm kind of lost here. Uh, the sun had been up for a couple of hours, covered the ground with layer of gold. Spirits were high and the raining had stopped. The larder was low, but boy, that wasn't all. Like, And this is typical uh, proggy Genesis. I, I, I'm not talking about the, the Peter Gabriel stuff because I didn't listen to that. Yeah. But of these first two albums, this is the kind of shit where I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're, you're telling a story, but it's not coherent. Okay, so... Well, I guess, yeah, again, I mean, if you don't have that that Jacobite rebellion background, right. so it's basically this is an army, right? So it's a sun of a couple of hours covered the ground with, so that's the sun has covered the ground with gold, the color gold, right? Yep. Spirits high and the raining had stopped, so now we're going to march. But the larder was low, so you've Which got Which is what? Larder, larder, like a pantry, essentially. So it just means your food your food reserves okay. maybe are low. Okay. Oh, I guess, yeah, his larder isn't a Canadian... Not at all. Ah, okay. That's the other thing I sometimes <laughs> forget because I've lived here for so long. I don't remember which are British terms and which are Canadian ones, right? So, but yeah, it's that. And, you know, again, I've got that experience of having been in the military, that dawn thing when the lights up and you know you're going to march at about sort of eight o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. But you know that breakfast was a bit shit because the cooks were pissed last night or whatever. And now you've got to go for like a 10 mile march. It's like, man, you know, it's nice outside, but this is going to suck. So, so what I find with these lyrics is like the story they're trying to tell is very interesting and compelling. Yeah. Lyrically. I don't know if it works. Like it, it's, it comes off as a, a redneck Canadian. It comes off a bit pretentious. If that yeah, makes yeah. sense. So is that a thing that, cause I, you know, we should talk about that a little bit because <laughs> that's, I mean, prog rock is, is again, it's, it is very pretentious. And uh, there are, I think two or three songs on this record specifically that are very, very English. Mm -hmm. So I think that is that maybe a, a barrier to entry for you into some of the, the lyrical content then? It seems like it 100%. might be sort of, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even a, a band like Rush in Canada, you'd think they'd be uh, music royalty, right? They're very divisive in Canada, though. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, the, the the BTO crowd, they don't really like Rush so much. But the, the band that would listen to early Genesis, they very much love Rush because lyrically they fall kind of in line with, with lyrics like this. Yeah, for Neil sure. Peart was a very smart guy and a very good lyricist. But um, Rush could be a hard band to get into, too, just like maybe uh, Genesis in this era was kind of hard to get into for folks of my ilk who grew up on fucking Johnny Cash and Garth <laughs> Cowboy, Brooks. And, Cowboy chords. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, did you have a time before 324? <laughs> Same one. <laughs> Same one. Oh, look Same at this. We're, we're right in sync. What was my note on 324? Oh, guitar and drums. Let's try it. He 
It's that bit there. It's when he comes off. Me, da, 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 da. It's, it's man. It's so effective and it's very simple. There is actually a word for that. And Randy's told me about a million times. I just can't lodge it in my head. But where you come, you're not going on the one. You, you're on the one, the ander, and it's coming in between the beats. But it just okay. it moves the song a little bit, right? Because the music underneath isn't doing anything different, really. You've got Hackett just playing that killer, shreddy, weird sort of. He's got such got such a unique tone to his to his guitar, which isn't you know it's very sort of you know it's very early Genesis and it doesn't Genesis don't sound like that after he leaves. But with that little just that little stutter step on the drums, it just gives the song a little bit more dynamic range. Like I just I think just I think that sounds really really cool. And I agree. I, I thought that was a really cool moment in the song too. Uh, I'm going to shuttle ahead here if you're cool with it, Kevin, to 417 because mm -hmm. we're getting a nice little acoustic section here. And I just, I, I appreciate those moments where it's not Tony Banks jerking off on the keyboard <laughs> where you just get Steve Hackett and Phil's doing a nice little thing on the cymbals yeah. and, and just a, a, a gorgeous little acoustic interlude. I, I really found that refreshing at this point in the song. When you get that, you get that big sweeping synth pad though too, right? So like you said, Banks is, he's playing probably one chord there and he's got a, like a dial on his, on his, I don't know what his proper, I don't know what would be proper, but whatever synth he's using and he's just kind of fading that in and, and changing the phase of it. It's so cool. Like it, yeah. <laughs> Genesis do this all the time, right? We get big, 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 big drop, yeah. big, big, big drop, big drop, big. So <laughs> I don't know. It, it is a good respite in the middle of this song. So yeah. And and now uh, I had six oh seven, uh, which is a nice heavy section. I want to go to. I want to go to five twenty nine if we can okay. quickly. Yeah, because it's yeah, and it's about the. It's the transition out of that slow section that we've just been listening to, but it's the way Phil sings it. So we'll, we'll punch in and we'll talk about it a bit more. So. It's just that turnaround. I think that's really cool the way you sort of, because it's going to build back out into that next section, right? But that lyric and the way he sings, Phil's vocal there is so reminiscent of stuff he would do, especially on Duke, when we get to Duke. Very, very similar to that. Where he's, it, I don't know ex exactly how to explain it, but he's got a very specific intonation and phrasing where it's very unlike what Gabriel used to do. This is where Phil Collins really started to find his own voice. Where before, you know, even on Trick of the Tail, he was mimicking Pete Gabriel quite a lot this one's one of the first times you ah that's gabriel uh, that's collins now from abacab genesis that, that's him moving forward now right you think so he's very high in his register in this entire totally. album yeah, yeah like it's it's very high uh but it doesn't sound like gabriel though no that, that that's very true uh so this is coming up to the the section i had uh, marked down here where it gets mm -hmm. uh, gets a little heavy
Lee, what are lairds? Lairds, uh, it's the Scottish word for lord, really. Okay, because yeah. it says tell the lairds and the lords. Yeah, so it's just using the Scottish and the English um, word for it, yeah. So there's a, my favorite author, uh, Terry Pratchett, it, it, the, some of the characters in his books are the wee free men, and they're very, so the, all the dialect is Scottish. And their thing is nay laird, nay master, nay king, nay queen. Um, we won't get fooled again. It's kind of like their whole thing. So, <laughs> so but the laird is, is very prominent in there. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's such a cool section, such a cool section. Was there anything else uh, from 11th Earl of Mar that you wanted to check out here? We still got, you know, the song is seven minutes and 46 seconds long, so. Yeah, and I mean, it, I think at this point that we've covered most of the, we've listened to most of the sections, really, because this one's not super dense in terms of the way it moves. I think that the outro is, oh man, if you're going to nitpick, you could shorten it, definitely. Mm-hmm. Right? But that last daddy, that big final push on the last word, that's pretty freaking cool, too, so, yeah. And it ends on that is- big epic minor chord too. Like they they change tack, and it it's a, and I think that chord actually is one that they've only used as like a passing chord. I don't know for our listeners. Maybe we'll do some music education there, course. So, you know, if, if a chord's if, if a song's in C and you go, you C F G A minus, and you might throw a bit of a D in there just as a passing thing. So it's called a passing chord, right? So I think that that last minor, it's I think it's a passing chord in the song, but then they end on it which is really cool because, you know, most songs, if you want to know what key it's in, listen to the, how it ends, listen to the last chord, because that's usually where you land. When you subvert that and change that and end on a, a different chord, I always quite like that. So, Okay. Um, I thought this is one of uh, the band's better tracks. I thought it, uh, Phil had a good voice in this one. Um, if we were to rate it here, I guess we're at the end of the uh, song here. Uh, yeah. Musically, I gave it a 7 uh, out of 10. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a 6 just because as a redneck Canadian – um, I was kind of lost in parts. I know what they were going for, but it came off a, a tad in by tad. I mean, massive uh, <laughs> amount of pretentiousness on that one. And a production, I gave it a 2.5 because God, it's just too long. Uh, like there, okay. there's a couple of moments they, they, they could have trimmed that fucker down. Uh, this could have been a very <laughs> solid four and a half minute song. No reason it had to be 746. Four so and a half minutes. <laughs> oh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah, no, I mean, See, I love the movements. I like the callbacks too. It's, you know, it, and like you said, it's very tight musically. Everyone's on good form here. So I give music an eight, lyrics an eight. I actually, so there's one thing too that is very cool. If you listen to the verses if you, or even just read them, the rhyming scheme is inconsistent. And I'm pretty sure that's deliberate because sometimes it follows form and it, sometimes it doesn't. But in the last verse, lines one and two rhyme and lines three and four rhymes. So you, now you've got two couplets where you don't have that in the previous one. So again, it's that, it, it is super pretentious and it is people who've read a lot of poetry um, throwing these weird little things in that you don't get in pop music, right? So yeah, I don't know. And then production 2.5. And like I said, I think where it falls down definitely is that other than the solo, you just simply can't hear Steve Hackett in this song, which is a shame because I think it could have used him in a few spots, right? So yeah. That is a theme of these uh, first two albums that we're covering. Yeah, uh, in the last two that I got to listen to is Steve Hackett, um, so we're we're not too too terribly off on that one. No, I was surprised. So. Genesis played this uh, quite a bit, two hundred and forty-seven times live, but they stopped playing it in nineteen eighty-four. So yeah. that was a quite a lot from nineteen seventy-seven through nineteen eighty-four, seven years. And I think that that comes from you know because Collins they used to do a lot of well, quite a bit of the old material to make sure the fans you know the Gabriel naysayers who thought that Genesis couldn't survive to keep them happy. Cause he used to do suppers ready. 
with Phil Collins. Like Phil Collins rang, sang supper's ready quite a few times. So I think this was a good, and you know we'll talk about the next one too. One for the vine. These are good songs that will keep the the prog bass really happy. So you can do these live, and they can you know they put these songs out, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's um, as prominent as probably it was. So. Okay. So again, I don't know if we mentioned this out the hop, uh, but we're rating these songs uh, ten points possible uh, for music, ten points possible points for lyrics, and five points uh, for production, which encompasses everything from the mix. Uh, to the length, to how the song is constructed, kind of all that yeah. stuff. So uh, that's where we uh, fell on 11th Earl of Mar. Uh, let's go on now to uh, One for the Vine. This is another one the band played quite a bit uh, in their time, 249 times. So again, kind of right around that that same era, they, they played this one right along with it. Uh, let's check it out. All right. The, the first note I made was almost fell asleep until four <laughs> minutes and 40 seconds in. And then we well, Saturday, I put what the fuck. Can I, can, I, can I take you to 147 and just comment on something there? Okay. Yeah. 147. You bet. <laughs> So that's the bit where we, we you know we talked about in the last song with Mike Rutherford. Mike Rutherford is playing some really cool shit in that section there, and you don't necessarily notice it because it's so well done. But he's playing these really cool arpeggios, and there's a sort of an, an ascending run that it's starts and it doesn't really get up super high on the fretboard. He almost gets to the point where you think, oh, that would be a really weird bass, and then he drops back down again. It, that section, I think, is just really, really cool. And you got Phil's on the ride, and yeah, that little build, that little push-up from Simple Word the Folk Who Lived, I, just, I enjoy that bit. I'm still asleep at this point. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, the first time I had down was 221, and it, it was this uh, high-register vocal from Phil Collins. Phil has great range and he's not showing oh, off on this album at all. Like uh, to this day, one of my favorite records I'll pop on is no jacket required because yeah. he sings that record so fucking good. And yeah. this is, I think one of his weaker vocal efforts that I've heard from Phil Collins. Really? Yeah. I find that super interesting because, oh, so do you mean then that you would have preferred him to belt that up? Because he can sing that in his upper register when he's really pushing it. Right. Yeah. But here he's, he's dropping it into that falsetto. So you just would prefer him to, really push that i don't think but that would fit emotion. with the song though yeah potentially uh, but this whole album he seems so restrained just okay. on every single vocal okay uh, i i think maybe that's why i gravitated more to the instrumentals to be honest with you but uh to me this is one of his uh, weaker vocal efforts and he's one of my favorite singers uh in, in pop rock history uh but really he does yeah. he does falsetto fine but i i, I kind of miss his his middle register stuff too yeah no, no that's Again, something I wouldn't have thought of. I just find that very interesting, right? Because, again, we're coming at this from different sides of the prog spectrum. So, you know. Mm -hmm. What was your next time? I had uh, 332 is when the song could have ended. 
But then it goes on for another seven <laughs> fucking minutes. Can you give me 306? You bet. There's one thing I want to talk about at 306, because this is where Tony Banks, obviously, in Genesis, is well known for the the keyboards and the, the synths and all this kind of stuff. You kind of forget this guy was a fucking brilliant pianist, a brilliant, brilliant pianist. And oh, this, this little section in here really highlights how good a pianist this guy was. All right, here we go. 306. Oh, yeah. So the cool thing about that is, and we talk about, do you know what stride piano is? Have you ever heard of stride piano? Just that really funky. And so with that stuff, they'll be playing, they'll they'll kind of play solo on the right hand. So they're playing like, you know, but on the left hand, and they're playing that all throughout. If you listen to that section closely, he's playing a really cool part in his left hand. The right hand's doing the trills and all these little funky little bits, but the left hand, that's where he loses me as a piano player. I could probably learn the right hand. There's no fucking way I could play both together because they're syncopated and they're off beat. And it's like, fuck you, Banks, you fucking legend. <laughs> so I was saying fuck you, Banks, a lot during this record. <laughs> different reasons, but though, I think. <laughs> different reasons. I did love that. But I, we, we got a few seconds here. I just want to play yep. Keep it going. And the song ends. It's beautiful. And oh, fuck. <laughs> You're not even a third and, the way through, Corey. I know. And my note was it goes on for another seven fucking minutes. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, if you do the, if you go to 438, that's where, okay. that's where things get really interesting in this song. Yeah, I actually had 440. So I'm right around there, too. Sure. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm in nine to five, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "Like, what the fuck is this now?" And I, I put four forty. What the fuck? But you think about this too. If you if just play, a, let's play about ten seconds more of this, and then we'll because there's something interesting to say about this. So. So what's cool Musically about this is impressive. Musically what's cool impressive, about it, but fucking dumb. <laughs> but it's interesting because Banks wrote this. I'm pretty sure he wrote this one in the Trick of the Tail sessions. Yes, but he couldn't quite that. get it right. Right. So, but he comes in and he lays this. So he comes in. And he plays this on piano, and he sort of hums the melody along. And he, he said in an interview that I don't. I don't know what the guys thought of this because, especially when it gets to this section. But here's the thing. Imagine this section, he plays this weird sort of again that left hand How the fuck do you write a drum part to that? As a drummer, what do you go? Uh what um uh I grab a Pepsi bottle and you go ding because that's all Phil Collins did. It's so weird, like it's just so bloody weird. Which it's weird and it's impressive, but it doesn't mean it's good. Like, is it pleasing to the ear? All right. Uh, one of the notes I made was boring. Wants to be epic in scope, but fails. It's no clam caravan. That's for sure. <laughs> let, let, let's go. <laughs> Fuck, there's still like four minutes. There's six minutes left of this. Let's go to 625 if you're cool with that. Yeah. All right. In our choice, I'm glory. Almost 
sitting there on the call, you're making like a rock face. Like, yeah, <laughs> fucking right. I'm like, God, what the hell are you listening to? I just listen to They leave me no choice. I must lead them to glory or most likely to death. That's it. So I'm like, you got you know, to remember my other <laughs> podcast feature lyrics. Like you ain't seen nothing till you're down on the muffin. Okay. <laughs> But to me, it's that like it's that self doubt of a military leader of sort of, you know, I'm in charge here, and I'm going to send two hundred seventeen year old, eighteen year old boys to an early grave. But it's weird that that's over top of this weird jangly kind of you know <laughs> progression. So it's kind of a dark sentiment, yeah, over top of weird yeah. music. And again, I put what the fuck. <laughs> but if, if you go if you go to seven fifteen, then we'll just talk about this quickly because there's only two more things that I thought I wanted to to highlight in the song. Okay. Seven fifteen. Sorry, not fifty. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No. No. That was me. It's my stupid accent. But you know that there was Phil uh, in a lower register singing, mm-hmm. and I thought, hey, that that's kind of refreshing. All right, let's go back to 750. Why? Why? Why is this a thing? Like, the, the song should have ended literally it's, four minutes ago. But I, <laughs> I wrote down that I love that refrain. Is this thing, so you, okay? So, here's a question then for you because I think this is interesting. I think this sort of is a an anchor point for a lot of people with prog. Do you listen to classical music? Uh, some, uh, actually, I, I don't want to call it class. I listen to a lot of soundtracks, like a lot okay. of composers doing orchestral soundtracks. Right, but not We're just listening. Yeah, not, and, okay. Yeah, not in a while. I took music appreciation in college, and I listened to a lot of Beethoven and Bach back okay. then. Now I listen to John Williams. Like, I, I was just listening to the new Indiana Jones score, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, so that's a leitmotif, right? So they always come back. It's that one, but they come back to that because it's that thing of, we've got all these different sections in this song, but you should always return to something that feels familiar. So that's what that, you know, again, it's a proggy thing. That's what you do. So, so who's this? Song Corey doesn't love it. No, who, who is, who is your target audience for this? Me. <laughs> Music nerds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Guys with glasses and pocket protectors. We fucking love this shit. <laughs> All right. Was there another uh, time in the song you wanted to go to or? Uh, 836 to nine. Just so. 836. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. St- eight. Fucking 36. We're still talking about this song. <laughs> so it's just that move back into a major key, right? You've had all these different movements, but I think that the song resolves at the end into this nice kind of, it's more up. It's got a bit more of an uplift to it at the end. So yeah, why not? I, I dig that part too. Uh, I, I can't appreciate after all the just again pretentious <laughs> is, is the word that just screams to mind. I, but you think, I, I come from a land where uh, a band wrote a song called "She Ain't Pretty, She Just Looks That Way." So this hey, is a very good band, <laughs> unbelievable band, and one of my favorite songs of all time. So yeah, I'm not going to disparage them here. Maybe Northern Pikes will do if, if I win this season. We totally should do the Pikes because <laughs> I know a guy we could have on. <laughs> oh man, that'd be amazing! But. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of comes back into this part. Like, well, okay, well, this is good. But this is eight minutes and 49 seconds into the song. And we still got two minutes. Like, you know, wrap it up already. Like, people bitch about the new Metallica album because, uh, you know, songs are going six minutes, seven minutes. This fucking thing is 10 minutes long. 
when we get to episode, when we get to series or season 14 15 if i win i'm taking you back to the peak gabriel area we're no, going back i'm not we're doing, going I'm back. Not doing <laughs> suppers ready i'm not doing suppers ready <laughs> how long is that song is it like it's over it, 20 isn't it that's one episode yeah it's 27 minutes yeah i mean it's oh my it's God. It, it, yeah yeah <laughs> All right. All right so, well, okay. Uh, so, music, lyrics, and, and production, Corey. Where, where are you at with this one? All right. <laughs> I don't music think it's going to be kind. <laughs> music, I gave it a five. Like the band is obviously good. There's too much Tony Banks. I could use more uh, Steve Hackett. Uh, I always appreciate Mike and Phil, uh, but I gave it a five. Lyrically, I gave it a four. Way too pretentious. Follow me. I give you strength beside you. Courage to win your battles. Go eat a dick. It's like no, no, and. Uh, production, I gave it one and a half because there's no reason on earth why this thing is 10 minutes long. It, it could have wrapped up at, at 3.32 and I would have been happy. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Too, <laughs> too fucking long. So, yeah, 5, 4, and 1.5. I'm guessing your scores are a tad bit higher. Oh, yeah. I mean, music hates. I find it really oh. interesting. It's eclectic, and I love that callback to that same refrain that underpins it. Lyrics, okay. I'm a sucker for a big epic fantasy. And I mean, that last verse, so I'm going to read this last verse, because again, in the context of the song, so then on a distant slope, he observed one without hope, flee back up the mountainside. He thought he recognized him by his walk and the way he fell, and by the way he stood up and vanished into air. So to me, that's about, this is like a cyclical, have you ever read Stephen King's uh, The Dark Tower? Oh, yeah. Yep. Right, so car is a wheel, right? Everything repeats. That's what the system is. So I think that the the person that he's seen on the mountainside is him at the beginning because at the beginning, he comes down the mountainside. I think it's that self-reflective thing of history repeats itself. He was the he was the rebel. He was the guy who came. Because it's basically like a Christ-like figure in this song, right? He was the guy who came to save everyone. Now he's become basically sort of the dictator and the pe- person falling down the mountain he's basically seen himself um reincarnated so that's what i've always taken from that i think that's a very cool if it's a little trite a little conceited i don't a give a fuck Corey, because i like prog so fuck you i love this lyric, so, a, so little, lyric. A, a little trite he says so eight for me again and again production three because i think i love the 10 minutes give me give me 15 <laughs> but again steve's guitars are too quiet i think most of the songs especially and again i think side two's better and we'll talk about that next week but side one, Steve's guitars just get drowned out way too often for me on this 100%. one. So. Yeah, could not agree more. And keyboards are just so loud. Like <laughs> it, it even drowns out Phil and Mike at, at some points. Like yeah. you can tell Tony Banks leads this band and, and he's there while they're mixing, right? And like, crank up my fucking keyboard. We don't need to hear the bass on this. And I want to hear the bass. Speaking of Mike Rutherford, the next song is one of his. And it's really the only like pop song on the record. It, it was the only single. It's called Your Own Special Way. Can I just give, can I just take a second, Corey, to say how good of a transition that was? That was, that was an, a fucking very professional, speaking of Mike Rutherford, brilliant, mate. Absolutely beautiful. Seamless. Well, thank you very much. I've, I've had a few whiskeys. I'm barely coherent at this point. <laughs> kind of like Genesis at this point in their career. But let's check out Your Own Special Way. Go far enough and you will reach a place where the sea. So again, we have we have Phil way up, 
way up in his register, right? And really suits it in this though. I mean, it you does have, this one. Yeah. You have to sing it that way, right? And yeah. one very cool thing that I was reading about this one is so it's a tw- well, there's a couple of guitars on this, but the twelve string that Mike's playing, Mike Rutherford was very well known for fucking about with tunings, right? So it's an open tuned guitar, but with the twelve string, also what he used to do was there would be certain strings where so for people who don't know, with the twelve string, your top E string, the big fat bass one, you've got the the, the regular E string, and then this I think it's called a sympathetic string or it's whatever the harmony string is basically just an octave up. So it's not copper wound. It's a straight. We were talking about this on the on the Van Halen thing with Nashville tuning, right? So you take a it's a a wire string and it's tuned an octave up. But what Rutherford would quite often do, he would tune it to the fifth or the third, so we get this really weird, different, full sound that you don't necessarily always get from a twelve string, which I think is super, super, super cool. I agree. Do you mind if we uh, skip ahead to the chorus? One twenty three. That's what I had written down. That's what I have too. Almost got that sort of against all odds, slow feel, beautiful kind of. You know, this is so comfortable and easy to listen to. There's nothing challenging about this. It's just really everyone's like Tony Banks is dialed back, Hackett's everyone's dialed back. Everyone's just letting Phil Collins lead that melody in there, and, it, and again you get those those little fills in between from Hackett. Very very cool. The one thing, though, and I, I agree with everything you said, but against the odds, he sings with a lot of passion, a lot of power. Uh, missing okay. on this one, but I think it fits with this song. Uh, your yeah. own special way should be a quieter refrain, right? It should be higher uh, in that falsetto. But against the odds, is you're coming back like he's hitting yeah. those notes, right? Well, it's more. It's, it, that's more. That's hurt, right? There yeah. is expressing a lot of frustration and anger, right? So it's. But did you notice too, though, I, I do like that switch between because the, the verse is 3-4, so it's waltz, uh, th- then it switches to 4-4 four, four in the chorus. And again, that's something that Genesis does. They fuck around with time signatures all the time, but in this one, it's just very simple, but it's still there. There's still a little bit of a change just to remind you that they're still Genesis, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, next time I had was 342. There's a, a piano solo there. We are in simpatico all the way through this album, Corey. So that very much fits the song, right? The you know the nice, cool acoustic intro we got, the, yeah. the breezy uh, chorus we got. This is what I I, I kind of expect. This is more I, I don't want to say like a, a traditional song, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take you on all these different trajectories like uh, the other songs on side A did. And it came from that piece was um, I think an instrumental piece that Mike Rutherford had written. And just didn't have anywhere to put it, right? And I think I read or read or heard him say somewhere that he always struggled with writing shorter songs that were sort of concise, 
rather than what he found easier was to just kind of take bits that he'd written and just drop them in, you know, to, to break the, break up the flow, which it definitely sort of takes you out of the flow of the song. Oh yeah. And that was one of the points I made was it kind of stops the song dead in its tracks. Yeah. And you can see why they took this out of the single too, right? So this isn't on the single edit because the single edit is 343 or something. So this, this whole middle section is missing. Oh, okay. and you can, you yeah. can see why. Oh, absolutely. Cause yeah. Uh, for someone who's more accustomed to sing, you know, singles kind of following a more traditional pattern. Yeah. The fact that it just dies like that, I found was, was very jarring. Uh, did you have another uh, uh, time uh, code you wanted to go to here? No, I, I just, I just kind of about this song generally. It's a funny, it's a weird one to have to talk about because there's for Genesis, there's not a lot going on in this song, you know, in terms of movement and different sections and whatever else it is. So there's not a ton to, pick apart um i like the lyrics i think the lyrics are pretty fucking cool in this song you know i've sailed the world for seven years and left all i love behind in tears that's a great lyric man that's really heavy 100%. like you said yep. that, like heavy means can mean different things this album the lyrics are really weighty you know they're they're quiet meaty you know it's a very gloomy uh side to an album like uh there's nothing really uplifting. definitely yeah maybe a little section in the first track uh, where it kind of got heavy and it kind of got, you know, a little funky there. Yeah. That was cool. But everything else has just been very, very gloomy. Uh, so uh, I I tend to really like uh, Your Own Special Way. Only played 77 songs. So I'm th- how do you play one for the Vine over 200 times? And you only play <laughs> the first charting single with Phil Collins. I wanted to hit 62 of the Billboard Hot 100. So their first yeah. charting single with Phil Collins. And they only played 77 times. That doesn't make sense to me. But uh, musically, I gave it a seven. Uh, again, I think largely because that middle section, uh, w- which, you know, was from a different song, they just kind of threw in the middle. And it kind of really kind of stopped the, the the track dead. I yeah. didn't like that. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a seven. Again, I, I enjoyed it lyrically. And production, a two, because there's no reason on earth why this had to be over six minutes long. <laughs> I'm guessing that time is going to be is going to be an issue for Corey. You know what? I, I don't mind a lot a lot a long song if it has a point. Uh, when, yeah. when you put in a, a little piano interlude that was from a different song, just because I don't know uh, what did Mike say? Sometimes it's just fun to put you know stitch two or three different things together. Well, yeah. sometimes it's not, and it wasn't needed in this song. It was very beautiful, very melodic on its own. You didn't need Tony like, hey, everybody, listen to what I can do. Fuck off for a song, Tony. Like, come on, let somebody else shine. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's that challenge, right? Because I love that middle section, and I would miss it if it wasn't there on the album. Now, if I'm listening to, if I'm going to create a playlist, maybe I'll throw on the single edit of this one, right? Because it, when it's compact and when it just sort of tells this love lost story, um, I think it's a bit more impactful. But it's Genesis. It's prog rock, man. You got to you got to fucking throw some kind of sideball in there. But so I went. I mean, very, very, very similar. So seven for the music. I think it's really simple, but sometimes economy and, and simplicity in music can really work, and I think it does here. Um, lyrics. It's a nice sort of. It's lazy. It's got a lazy, drawly kind of feel to it. It's a nice love song, um, and the production two point five. I went. So I think oh seven for the lyrics. Sorry, two point five production. And although I again. I don't hate it, but that middle section definitely takes you out of the song, which I think is unfortunate, right? Because I think you could put a middle eight in there, even like probably shorter, but even even the same length, you could do something different that wouldn't really just drag you out of this 
this warm cocoon that the rest of the song sits you in. So yeah, totally, I totally agree with you on that. So very close on that one. So yeah. we're almost done with side one, my friend. We got uh, mm-hmm. an instrumental called What Gorilla? And it's a question. So it's What Gorilla? What Gorilla? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's check that one out. This is very much a Phil Collins track, right? Fucking ridiculous, man. I mean, <laughs> so that's that's a single kick too. That's not a double kick, which is bananas. And he used to use this song in Soundcheck to make sure that his kick pedal was set up properly because, well, you know, as a drummer, if his kick's too, there's no way, if your kick was really loose, there's no way you could play that. There's just physically no way you could get your, your, your heel, toe, double kick thing going fast enough. So that was Phil's warm-up. And I mean... It's insane. It's a it's a crazy drumbeat. It, it's it's unreal. And uh, Phil uh, still names this as one of his favorite Genesis tracks, and you can see yeah. why because he really gets to showcase what he can do behind the drum kit. It's pretty impressive. Well, that that ride stuff that he's doing too, and you've got these sort of chimes or bells, whatever the hell they are in the intro. And it, I don't always love a fade in either. Did we talk about that on Trick? Maybe not. Mm, no, that was I think it was a different podcast. I'm, the lines are getting blurred now, Corey. I'm, this must happen to you all the time. I don't even know what band I'm listening. They're talking about now. Is this Aerosmith? What am I doing? Yeah, yeah. But on this, I think it's, it just works so well because you're not really expecting that manic, you know, energetic double kick and this weird pattern he's playing. Yeah, man, it's it's super super cool. It's so yeah, the way it feeds, and then you hear that hat and then yeah, it's really really dug that. Uh, one of the notes I made was like Los Endos, but worse. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I still really dig this track. Steve Hackett, not a fan of this track, though. He yeah. uh, called it inferior and said it was good rhythmic, rhythmically, but underdeveloped harmonically. And I, I kind of see where he's coming from. Oh, kind of? I mean, <laughs> totally. We'll get into that at the end, but absolutely this. It's it's a, it's actually really just a Phil Collins drum warm-up song. And it's exactly. jazz fusion, which yeah. whatever, you know. It's, okay. it's Jazz Odyssey by uh, Derek Smalls yeah. <laughs> at the county fair at the puppet show. Is Man, there a time I'm, you wanted to go to? Well, I'm just I'm just loving all these Spinal Tap references that we got to get. More. We're doing Spinal Tap on this show. We are doing Spinal Tap. So. It's my uh, favorite movie of all time. So, yeah, I could talk Spinal Tap all day. 207. So it's just that conga trill, right? So you've got these... You know, Collins can do drums and cymbals, and he's just a, he's a master at the at the kit. But that percussive side too. Have you ever played congas? No, they're really fucking hard, man. Like to get a consistent tone, and it depends where you hit the the skin with what part of your hand to get. So I don't know if he's I don't know if he's using this kind of this whatever that part of the, the heel of the thumb for want of a better word or whatever it is. But it again, it just adds such a different feel. To the whole uh the whole piece right mm-hmm. got another time 231 okay so just a wee bit forward
Tony Banks is a prick, man. Like, no one should be able to play <laughs> keyboards this well. Now, there is a reason why this was only ever played live once that we know of. And I think it was like nine, 77 or something or whatever it was. Um, because Tony Banks is playing about four, five different keyboard parts at least. But in that, in that section, he's got this, again, this weird left hand. So Banks plays like, he's got like you know, 15 keyboards. So he can play a really high part over here and a high part here. And if you listen to that section, he's playing this weird arpeggio with his left hand and yet he's leading with his right, where usually pe most people would do that the other way around. And I know he's doing that because I've watched Tony Banks play a million times. He's one of my favorite keyboard players ever. The guy's a douchebag. Like no one should be able, no one should be that good. It's not fair that anyone's that good. But to be able to play those two different parts like that in sync, but again, like I said, you can't play this live because you'd need two, three keyboard. Maybe see if I could come play keyboard because I don't think he's playing on this track. I don't actually hear any guitar on this track. Not at all. And you were That's right, all. though. Played one time, 1977. Right, yeah. All right. So what, Gorilla, what's the meaning of the name? Do you know? I've no idea. No. no I mean, idea. well, so uh, what? No, what's the bloody... You ever see oh, Chad's? Do you know what Chad's are? Like the drawing? Let's look yep. Yeah, so the little guy looking over the wall, right? Yep. So it would be what, no, something? So all I can okay. assume is that it's some sort of weird oblique reference to to that the gorilla thing. Okay. I don't fucking know. Well, it's dumb, but it, it didn't uh, it didn't <laughs> hamper my enjoyment of the song. Musically, it gave it an eight, uh, largely for Tony Banks and for Phil Collins. I thought they were great. Yeah, yeah. Where were the other guys? So I had to dock it a couple marks for that. Uh, lyrics, obviously, uh, not available. And uh, production-wise, I give it a three and a half uh, because it sounds really good and it's fucking short. Three minutes, 23 seconds. <laughs> uh, it's the second shortest song on the album. I was very, very happy with that. So big fan of what, Gorilla? Kevin Brown, what did you think? Music six. Oh, You know, okay. Well, no, it's very simple musically. Um, it's very interesting because of what Tony Banks is doing textually with those so uh, keyboards. And the drum part's just fantastic. But my knock on this is that it's very repetitive. Okay. So Phil's only playing really that one lick and he breaks a few times and fills a little here and there, but it's not really, once you've got past that, oh, fuck me, that's good. Doesn't really go anywhere after that. Uh, lyrics, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then production, I get 4.5. I think his drums sound unbelievable on this song. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can also hear every single part of what Tony's playing, even when he's playing. And you should make a note on this, Corey, because I think if you go back and listen, just really dial in on the keyboards and what he's doing, you'll notice that he's doing a fuck of a lot more than you thought he was when you first listened to it. There's so many different parts and it's so cool, man. So 4.5 on, on the on the production, but yeah, I just think it's a little bit, you know, same source. So. No, I can totally see that. So that's side A of Wind and Withering. Uh, my averages, uh, musically average is seven, lyrically 5.5, production two. So my totals, 14 and a half out of 25 for side A. Uh, of wind and withering, uh, which is over uh, 50%, but not by a ton. Uh, what were your uh, final grades on uh, side A? I just love that you really struggle with the word withering. <laughs> <laughs> We've had withering, I, weathering. <laughs> withering, yeah. You know, like I said, I've had a few whiskeys, and this album just, it took a lot out of me. Uh, <laughs> it's crusty will to live. No, I, so overall, mine was music 7.5, lyrics 7.5, production 3, so 18. Overall okay. on this one. And it's, you know, again, it's it's the second album after Trick of the Tail. It's Genesis going back into the prog pocket, especially on this side. Your own special way with that middle section, again, is 
it takes you out of it. And you can see why that had to be edited out for the single. The only track on side one that could possibly be a single, again, you know, I love the lyrical concepts on this side. I like big ideas, so I quite like that. And I adore closing with, I think, what gorilla, if you're going to close with any, we should, we won't talk about sequencing too much. I don't think on Trick of the Tail. I think when we get to the end, this side is sequenced impeccably. I don't know how you would move the sequence around on this side and make it work. And I would, you know, not to give too much away, but I think side B is very similar. So, you know, well, what gorilla yeah. is great, but you're right. The, the title's dumb as fuck. What gorilla? You could, you know, you could, you, you, you pretentious prog rockers, you could call it the fucking Saturn's impact on the inertial spin of Venus or whatever. I don't know. You could, what gorilla? What? You know what? Call it the Queen's tits. <laughs> this song will now forever be known as the Queen's Tits in my brain, and I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> I love it. And to your sequencing point, uh, song one and song four, I agree. Two and three, I think, are pretty interchangeable. Um, I, I think you can mix those around. You're not going to mix up too much, but you want because 11th Earl of Mar has kind of an upbeat section in there. Yeah. I like that as a kickoff, and I like what Gorilla as the closer for side A. It's such a gloomy record, uh, especially a, a gloomy <laughs> side. There, there's a couple of moments where the clouds break and you get a bit of sunshine, but it's not a lot. It's not a lot, and uh, I was very sad after listening to this record. Like I said, <laughs> colonoscopy, <laughs> colonoscopy without the anesthetic, which I've had, and it's unpleasant. Uh, kind of like winded withering, winded withering, winded wolthering. What did I say? <laughs> A, a colonoscopy without the anesthetic, Corey. I mean, dude, what is going on you in Weyburn? They, you need, they, you they, need they, healthcare down there. You just they gave what's me going the, on there? They 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 gave they put in the IV, and then they wheeled me into the room. And I said, "Nurse, can I please get something for my headache? I got a really bad headache." And she said, "You're not supposed to feel anything." And then they shoved the camera up my ass. So yeah, unpleasant. Holy Jesus! Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a that's a very I was going to say good place to end a podcast. I don't know if it's a good place. It's a harrowing place. And I think our listeners are going to, you know, they're going to, they're probably not going to sleep if it's late at night when they're listening to this, but I, I think we should leave it there because how, how are we going to top that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what, folks, if you want to talk to us, I'm sure you will, because either you're going to tell me that I'm an idiot for loving this album, or you're going to rag on Corey for not loving prog rock. Either way, it's fine with both of us. And it's going to be me man in the social media, so Corey's just going to say, fuck you, I don't care. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at UCatalogClash, because Twitter has a weird limit on usernames, uh, and Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook. Come talk to us. We'd love to know what you think about Side A of Wind and Wuthering by Genesis. <laughs> <laughs>